The Bible says we're gifted as followers of Jesus with spiritual gifts that are meant for the building up of the church. We see that. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are shepherds, some are teachers, all meant for the building up of the church. Now, it's way above my pay grade to know the difference between our natural talents and God's gifting and how those two intertwine. But the end result is always the same. It's always the building up of the church and the glorification and praise of Jesus. And so when you think about the gifts that are within you, your natural talents and abilities, your experiences, the things that you have come to understand that God has granted to you, as you think about those, I want you to think about what does it mean to have a sincere faith? A sincere faith. Because as you look at this letter, something that's really interesting to me is that Paul actually calls Timothy to take responsibility to fan into flame the gift of God that's in him. And that kind of brings a couple of questions to mind for me. When Paul calls Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that's been placed into you, my first question is, can a gift that God has given die down or decrease? If God gave us a gift, can we become less effective in it? And if so, the second question this prompts for me is, can an act of our will exert control in rekindling that gift? Can we become more effective through an act of our will and out the responsibility that it seems Paul is telling Timothy to take? I think the answer is yes for both of those questions in the right context. God's gifts are given to us to be used in coordination with the Holy Spirit as He empowers us. Yet, we manage some responsibility in when and how they're used. Example, an evangelist. An evangelist is gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak and declare the good news of the gospel. And as an evangelist speaks, there's a responsibility on him to open his or her mouth. And there are times when every evangelist would say, I should have spoken and I didn't. So there's a responsibility that we share. And if that's true, then it's very important. That as we read a letter that seems far away because no one we know is in a dungeon right now, right? At least not our spiritual mentor. And we're free. We've already prayed this morning. We're free to worship here. Doesn't seem as if that freedom is going to be taken away, at least not anytime soon. We hope. We pray. And so we say, this letter seems far away. No, it seems very near. Because this is where application really, this is where it comes home. This is where I'm coming to your neighborhood, right here. As he says, fan in the flame the gift of God that has been given to you. Think about that. If that's true, if it is our responsibility to keep this gift, to fan it into flame, to, to rekindle that fire, then it's important for every Christian to regularly examine ourselves to see if we are indeed being responsible in shepherding God's gifts with a truly a sincere faith. Not just a faith where I showed up. <laughs> What coach ever said, well done, guys, you played a great game, you showed up. No, there's a lot more to any sport than just showing up. 
And in the same way, there's a lot more to the Christian life than just showing up. That we would have a sincere faith. That's the whole point of this letter. Not just today's message. We're going to see that this whole letter, Paul's calling Timothy to have a sincere faith. Four points I want you to see. These are, uh, will be up on the screen. The first point of having a sincere faith that, that we see, the first point is the result, a sincere faith comes from the result of grace. A sincere faith is the result of grace. You see that in this letter, and I love it in Paul's letters, 13 letters. You see they're bookmarked. Everyone, grace. Every introduction Paul gives, you're going to see the word grace. Every closing that he gives, you're going to see the word grace. Grace was a word that just flowed over Paul's life. Paul lived in this, this understanding. You know, I've got to think. I've got to think. What would it have been like? Paul, remember, Paul murdered. We don't know how many. Dozens, I would guess more like hundreds. We don't even know. It could have been thousands that he was responsible for. Murdered Christians. All that blood on his hands. How did he sleep at night? It's only by God's grace. He was a man who was overwhelmed by the grace of God. He saw that all of life is grace, that God's grace saves us, and that God's grace fuels us for the mission and the ministry he's called us to. Listen to me, folks. If you are ministering out of your own power, if you're ministering out of a greater commitment, if you're ministering out of your own calling, it won't last. You'll burn out. But if you are ministering in the flow of God's grace, He will be enough through the struggles, through the trials, through the disappointment, through the persecution. He will be enough. The second thing that we see is sincere faith is a result of grace. Um, a sincere faith is gifted for service. A sincere faith is gifted for service. We see that as Paul says, fan in the flame, the gift of God that was given to you through the laying on of hands. It wasn't just Timothy who was gifted. We're all gifted. The Bible tells us. Uh, we could do a whole series on, on the spiritual gifts. And, and there's, there's many gifts throughout the New Testament, but as you begin to look at the different lists, they're not all the same, which would almost seem to suggest that the Holy Spirit said, this is a place to get started, and I'll even do more, dot, dot, dot. What are you, what, how are you gifted? Do you know how God has given you gifts? If you think about your experience, as you think about the way in which things that you were born with. Some of you are born into families that just naturally have resources. You have gifts that you can utilize. Others of you were born into families where you say, my resource is the fact that I had no resources. I'm like MacGyver. I can figure out anything. Like, we are gifted in different ways. Some apostles, some are always wanting to move forward with entrepreneurial spirit. Others, prophets, they speak the truth no matter what. Evangelists, you love to share the gospel. You love to share good news. You're a connector. You open your mouth and people listen. Shepherds, those who are always thinking, those who are always watching, the ones who are in a small group who say, did you notice so-and-so who didn't talk tonight? Teachers, the ones who are so busy teaching that they didn't notice who didn't talk. We're gifted in so many different ways. Those are just a few. Do you know your gifting? Do you realize that the Bible calls us now? Because when Jesus 
died on the cross, what happened in the temple? The very presence of the Lord. Some of you did like you moved your arms apart. That's right. The veil was ripped from not from bottom to top. The veil, this five, six inch veil was ripped from top to bottom to show us that the spirit of the living God who desired to dwell with us would now be in us. And in that moment, every member of the church, everyone who would follow Jesus became every member a minister. It's why I don't wear a clergy collar. Because I don't want to differentiate myself from you. Our calling is the same. Do you realize that? I happen to work at this calling vocationally. You happen to work at the same calling in a different vocation. I work as a pastor. You work as a plumber. I work as a pastor. You work as a lawyer, a teacher, an engineer. We work in different jobs that we have the same calling to make disciples of all nations. I'm not going to stand before Jesus and He's not going to say, oh, your calling was greater to make disciples than someone else's. Now, He does say that because I am a pastor and He's called us to rule the church well and to serve the church, that we will be held to a higher account is what the Scriptures say, which is scary. But as Jesus looks at us, our calling is the same, to go and make disciples, that we would be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would each be missionaries. As you think about that, a sincere faith is a result of grace. A sincere faith is gifted for service. Thirdly, a, sin, a, a sincere faith is primarily public. There's been a lot of uh, questions about our new president and a lot of talk about his faith. And I think I heard one minister who knew him um, supposedly closely say that uh, he was very private about his faith. Our faith as believers is always meant to be personal, never meant to be private. There's no private faith in the New Testament. We're all called to be followers of Jesus who make disciples who make disciples. A sincere faith is primarily public. You know, so many people claim to know God. Let me remind you, knowing God is not enough. When you pray for your friends, when you pray for your neighbors, when you pray for our president, let me remind when you pray for your children, knowing God is not enough. The demons know God and they shudder and they're, they're doomed to hell. Knowing God is not enough. You say America knows God and America's going to hell in a handbasket. So it seems. We live in a day and time that's ridden with pornography. We live in a day and time that's filled with jealousy. We live in a day and time in which everyone knows God. But it seems that no one knows God. To know God is not enough. Jesus did not look at his disciples and say, come and know me. He said, follow me. Follow me. Believe in me. Repent of your sins. Stop following yourself. Stop trusting in yourself. Follow me. I'm convinced that 60, 70, 80, 90% of the church who claim to know Jesus do not know him. Because they know God. And their lives are separate from Him. It's scary. 
I think it's the whole point when Paul said, you see this sower who goes out to sow seed, and, and not Paul, but, but Jesus. And Jesus tells this parable of sowing seed, and you know the seed comes up, but some of it dies off quickly, and there's all these different scenarios that take place. And I think the whole point of that passage is that we see that so many who would claim the name of Jesus don't know Him. And that we would be very careful as followers of Jesus that we would always test and examine ourselves. Even as Paul did. Paul said, test my heart to make sure that I'm in Christ. That I'm in Christ. A sincere faith is primarily public. Jesus said, follow me. A sincere faith is on fire. The last one. A sincere faith is on fire. Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God that's given you. I want you to leave here with this thought. Am I on fire for Jesus? Do I regularly fan into flame the gift that's in my heart? You say, Brad, you speak on a stage. You're paid to be on fire for Jesus. It's not that easy. I can tell you that we're studying 2 Timothy because I've been doing church planning and I've been in seminary for the last two decades, 20 years, and it is heart-wrenching. It is difficult. It is hard. There's not a week or a month that goes by that I don't want to quit, that I don't want to walk away that I don't want to say, just forget it. It's not worth it. I struggle with that regularly, daily at times. But God has called us to fan into flame the gift that He has given us, which means that it's going to die down. And as it dies down through His Spirit, that we would rekindle that flame that was, that's within us. If you've ever built a fire, you know, I've got a quote for you from General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once sent this message to those under him. He said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has tended a fireplace fire knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. Here's how you stir the fire that's in your heart. If you have no idea, I just want to give you three quick applications. You can take these home and do them. The first is meditate. We have no idea how to meditate today. I was in the library on Friday, and I I heard this phenomenal sound. I heard the sound of nothing. It was beautiful. And then all these high school students came in from a school, and I heard everything. But, But for a moment, I heard nothing. It was beautiful, and we need to work on hearing the sound of nothing. But not that, not that meditation is listening to nothing. No, meditation is the bridge between reading the Scriptures and how we know what to pray. Meditation is the bridge between in our devotions, as we come to God, as we hear the Holy Spirit's words, as we read through the Scriptures, it's the bridge that leads us to prayer. And as we meditate, it's like we... We meditate and we, we listen. Um, it, it, it's stopping long enough to capture the message inside my head that's controlling my mind, my will, my emotions, that message of shame, that message of, of uh, you're more than enough, you've got what it takes, that message of power, whatever that message is inside my head. It's stopping long enough to discern what that message is and then to examine that message in light of the gospel, to examine that voice in light of the gospel, and then to preach the gospel first and foremost to myself, to think about the truth of the gospel that we should be believing and and the lie that we're actually believing and that lie that we need to put to death and stop obsessing over and to come back to the truth of the gospel. That's meditation. And and one of the ways that you can do it the, the easiest and I know y'all are sick of hearing about this, and I'm going to keep talking about it until you do it, is journaling. 
uh, I've got seven questions that you can ask. You don't write these down. I've, I've printed them out for you. They're on the coffee table. You can pick up a copy on your way out. If we run out of copies, email me. I'll send it to you. Uh, this is Michael Hyatt's suggestion. He says, answer these seven questions and you'll journal. Yesterday, what did I do yesterday? Truth of the matter is most of us don't even remember what we did yesterday. We don't slow down long enough to examine the steps of our life, to have wisdom, to know I screwed up yesterday, so let me, do, let me change some things today. We don't even remember what we did yesterday. What lessons did I learn? What a great question. What a wise question. Now, what am I thankful for right now? Woo. That's a great way to begin praying. What am I thankful for? How am I feeling right now? Men, this is one of the greatest questions that you could ever answer in your life. Women as well, but men, we struggle with our feelings. How am I feeling right now? Because when you get to the bottom of your feelings, you begin to see that unlocks. That's the key. Your feelings oftentimes are the key that unlock what you're truly believing in. They are what allow you to preach the gospel to yourself. If you don't get in touch with your feelings, then you can't accurately preach the gospel to yourself. Today, what did I read today? What are my plans for today? What one thing must I accomplish today? That last question, what one thing must I accomplish today? That's a, that's a $25,000 question. Did you know? I, I promise it is. Historically, early 20th century, one of the manufacturers around 1920s, one of the manufacturers, uh, a guy came in, and I don't remember all the story, but he said, I can help you, I can help you get production way up. He said, okay, you, you help us, and uh, I'll pay you whatever I think it's worth. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. In your life, I want you to write down, I want you to go to your office, write down a list of your priorities, top to bottom. I want you to take the first one and work on it until you're finished. Then move on to the next one. Don't worry about what you get, how many you get done. Just work on it till you're finished. And then get your other managers to do the same. 1920s, he wrote that guy months later, three months later, he wrote him a check for $25,000. He said that single idea along, what one thing must I accomplish today? I'm going to work on it and then move on to the next. Was so influential. $25,000 was an amazing amount of money in the 20s. Crazy. Okay, journal, journal promise you, it will be worth the time it takes. You say it takes so much time. I know that's the point. Journal. The second thing that you can do to fan into flame the gift that God has given you, and I'm going to move on, community. When we come to missional community time, when we come to our coffee groups, I'm convinced, listen, not in a legalistic way. Please don't hear me saying this in a legalistic way. I was reminded this week, just coming to my coffee, it's not another thing on your schedule. Please don't treat it like another thing on your schedule. You are meeting with a family of God. It is iron sharpening iron. And as iron sharpens iron, those are sparks that the Lord is going to use to rekindle the flame that is within you. Listen, you're going to walk away from your coffee group. You think you're sitting in some coffee shop. You think you're sitting around a table and it's just words. No, God is going to use that. Those are going to be words of life. You go into your MC, you're like, I'm hungry, we're going to eat together. No, the food is important, but I taste and see that the Lord is good as you listen to the truths that are revealed. God's going to change your life. He's going to change the life of other people who are around you. Go with expectation. 
You're going to hear the gospel. It's going to be amazing. God is going to use it to rekindle the fire and the gifts that are within you. You need community. You need community. Thirdly, attitude. Man, this may be the hardest. In ministry, negativity and jealousy are two of the things that will quench the fire within you quicker than anything else. Negativity and jealousy. Attitude is 90% of the battle. If your attitude stinks, you need to take it to the Lord. You need to ask Him to show you what you're believing in outside of Himself. You need to repent of whatever you're believing in and begin to believe the truth of the gospel again. I love this quote. I'm going to leave you with it. It comes from Frederick Langbridge from his work, A Cluster of Quiet Thoughts. Two men looked through the bars. One saw the mud, the other the stars. One was looking up and one was looking down. Where are you looking? Are you rekindling the gift of God that's within you? Do you know what the gift is? Are you fanning it into flame on a regular basis? Because what the world needs is a sincere faith. Insincerity. I don't know that there's anything more hurtful than insincerity. You know, it's one thing when somebody says, I don't like you. I've had people tell me that to my face. It's not terrible to hear that. Some people don't like you. Okay, you've had people unfriend you. It's the same thing. They're telling you, I don't like you. That's one thing. I'll tell you what hurts. When somebody says, I really like you, and then they go around behind your back and they say, I can't stand him. That's insincerity. I can't. That's what hurts. And what the world needs more than ever is to see followers of Jesus who have a sincere faith. A faith that's consistent in the highs and in the lows of life. A sincere faith. A faith that is authentic. As authentic on Sunday morning at a public church service as it is on Friday night at a private party. A sincere faith. A faith that is inspired, encouraged, optimistic, believing that Jesus' mission to reconcile the world to himself continues. And that he's called each of us to play a role, to play a part in seeing His kingdom come and His will be done. A sincere faith. Let me pray for us that we would have that. Father, thank You that even though You tell us in this life we will have trouble, You've also told us to take heart because You've overcome the world. And so God, we hold on to those truths, believing God that You are good, And God, we're going to trust you today in our disappointment. God, we're going to trust you in our despair. Uh, Jesus, we're going to trust you when things are, are going well and when things are not. God, I want to pray that for people who are here today who this last week have struggled to, to know your will, to, to see you, who have felt as if they're in their own dungeon. Father, I want to I want to pray that you would remind them that, that they are not undone. That you hold them in your hand. God, that it's your grace that they're in your, your grip and that they can't run from you. Jesus, I just want to thank you that no matter what we've done, you tell us that there is room at the foot of the cross. Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you for the grace that has overshadowed our lives. God, your grace is so amazing that for some of us, it's become ordinary. 
That's how amazing your grace is that you've covered our sin and that you've covered our shame. And it's so amazing that it's become ordinary. But God, I pray that it wouldn't be, that it would be extraordinary as we reflect on you. As we fan into flame the gift of God that you've given us. May we do that today. May we be encouraged. May we be light. May we be truth, not because of us, but because of Jesus and His great power and His great work and His great love. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.